we're going through the book of Ephesians. This is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and I've kind of subtitled this series, um, Alive to Live. We've been made alive in Christ to live our lives for Christ. And I think we kind of maybe miss out on that first part sometimes, and we try to live our lives for Christ without really understanding the life that we've been given in Christ. And so we are going to spend some time over the next several weeks understanding that life in Christ. And that's what the first three chapters of Ephesians are, are kind of about, mainly about, is about this life that we have in Christ. And then in the second half of Ephesians, Paul takes a turn and he goes and talks about more some of the practical ways that we live out our faith, but we have to understand first our purpose before we can practice those things. And so uh, we're going through this. We're taking our time and uh, just trying to get as good of an understanding as we can. Last week we started in chapter 1. Um, I cannot summarize all of those verses because uh, I had a hard time even doing it in 60 minutes last week, so I apologize for the long sermon, but you know how it goes. And uh, hey, uh, no one fell asleep and fell out of a window, so I guess we're, we're a step above some, some parts of the Bible. But um, last week we covered the first, what was it, 14 verses of the book, and we're talking about how this is salvation from God's perspective. Paul is kind of explaining salvation to us as, as God you know, has performed this act of salvation and is continuing to finish the act of salvation. So this is kind of an overview looking down from God's point of view of what salvation is. And when we understand it from the right point of view, when we have a right perspective, then we understand that we're, we're living our lives and even our very salvation is all about God and God's glory, that our lives are for the praise of His glory. And we saw Paul use that phrase several times throughout those first few verses. So even our salvation isn't about us, it's about God and giving glory to God. And it's been said the only thing that we contributed to our salvation is our sin. It's the only contribution we make. The only, the only part we contribute is the thing that needs to be forgiven. We have nothing to do with, uh, with working out or earning, I should say, our salvation to begin with. And we said this last week, God has chosen, God had to choose you, <coughs> excuse me, before you were born, talking about this idea of predestination. God had to choose us, had to choose me before we were born because if he waited until after, there's no way he would have chosen us. And I think that's a great way to just kind of understand salvation from God's point of view. It's all about Him. It's all about His glory. It's all about His credit. Now, today we're going to, Paul takes a little bit of a turn and, and goes into a little bit of a different idea, but it's still, it's still an overarching God perspective kind of a, a view on what this life in Christ is. And so uh, we're going to talk, though, about two different things. We're going to talk about the power of God and at the same time talk about knowledge and understanding. And they're both important, but we have to uh, use them in the right way to kind of get us set off, set off on the right foot. I've got just a little clip I'd like for you to watch. Of course, Friends, one of our favorite, uh, one of our favorite uh, shows that we've watched over time. This is Monica and Chandler, and this is right after they got married, and they're going on their honeymoon. And if, you've, if you're familiar with the episode, you know what it's about. Monica and Chandler are waiting in line at the airport to get onto a plane, and I just kind of want to set it up for you. And, and as they're waiting, there's another couple in front of them who is also going on their honeymoon, and they get bumped up to first class for free. And so Monica and Chandler pretend to be in love like, and pretend and act like they're on their honeymoon so they can hopefully get bumped up to first class, but then they can't because 
that couple took the last first-class seats, and then they get to go into the first-class cabin, and Monica and Chandler see them go into the first-class cabin, and they don't get to go in and know what's in there, and so that kind of frustrates them. And that brings us to this point where we're now at the hotel that they're staying at for their honeymoon. Let's watch a little bit. So, uh, yeah, so I'll explain that a little bit as we get going here. But uh, we need the stuff. You know, maybe you feel that way. I think that really, in a, in a great picture, summarizes how a lot of us, the contrast be, between the way a lot of us spend our lives with God. A lot of us understand it. We get it. We understand that the purpose is intimacy. So we're more like that first couple, intimate with God, and we understand we don't need the stuff because we have the relationship. We have the connection with God. But then there are those of us who are kind of still stuck on the other side. We don't really understand the intimacy or the relationship or the connection, but we, we need the stuff. And I think a lot of us kind of spend most of our time, we highlighted this a little bit last week, but want to dig into it today. We spend a lot of our time with God asking God for the stuff. Like we ask him for the things. We say, God, will you give me this or that? God, will you give me a new job? God, if you give me a new job, I'll finally be happy. And we kind of put the, uh, the responsibility for our happiness on the things that we're hoping to get from God as opposed to the relationship with God himself. God, if you fix this relationship between me and this other person, I will finally be happy. I'll finally be at peace. God, if you give me a new boss, then I am finally going to be able to live and enjoy my life. God, I just really need a new car. My car died last week. I need a new car. Will you give me a new car. Or, you know what, maybe this is kind of a change, but maybe, maybe this is you. God, I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick all of the time, and I'm sick of being sick all of the time. Would you, would you just kind of set me free from the sickness and, and give me the healing that I've been longing for my whole life? I'm sick of being sick. If you do this thing for me, I'll finally be happy. God, will you just help me to be happy? And we focus and we dwell on the stuff and then we spend our lives frustrated because we never have the stuff. We never get the stuff that we really want because that's not, in the end, what God wants for us most. What God wants for us most is the intimacy and the relationship. Let's read through our verses for today, and then we'll stop and break them up as best we can. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord God of our, or that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Listen to that. That is, that is our description that Paul gives us as the church. God placed all things under His feet and appointed to Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body. The church, we are His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. We are the visible representation of Christ to this world. We are supposed to be drawing people not to ourselves and not to our own glory or our own credit or our own devices or our own schemes, but through what the, what the power of Christ is doing in us, people are supposed to be drawn to Christ, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Before we get to that, that's kind of the end. We need to jump back to the beginning and, and break this down as best we can in the time we have. Verse 15 and 16, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith and the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is pretty straightforward, and hopefully it makes sense to you. This is Paul, and he's talking to the uh, Ephesians, and what he does, is, as he often does, is he stops and gives thanks. He thanks God for them, and and he's thankful that God has brought them into this place where they are now in Christ and they're in this relationship and they're following Christ and doing their best to walk in this thing that they have as Christians and as the church. But there's something I do want to point out here. Um, listen to this connection. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, faith and love go hand in hand. Our faith in Christ will drive us to be those who love unconditionally. The unconditional love of God that draws us to put our faith in Him also compels us to love one another unconditionally. I think this is something, a message that we really need today in the church. I think we need to understand unconditional love, that we have been called to an unconditional love within the community. And too often we allow things that are small and trivial to divide us. Sometimes they're not small and trivial. Sometimes they are significant. But even the significant things should not divide us because our faith in Christ unites us with love for one another. Now, this is what Paul is affirming. He's affirming that he has seen this in the Ephesians and that he, he is applauding. And ever since he heard about their faith and their love for one another, got, he has not stopped giving thanks to God for them. But as uh, any good pastor would go, it's not just enough to be thankful for what God has already done. We want to drive towards what God has in store. And this is what we're going to see Paul do. Paul opens up with thanks, and he's not just going to stop there. He's not going to stop with the thanksgiving. He's going to say, hey, I'm thankful for what God has done in you, but let's turn a corner and let's see where God wants to take us because there's so much more than what you're living or what you're experiencing. And I think that is a true turn that all of us need to take 
every day of our life, that there is more that God has for me today than he had, than I had and I knew and I experienced from him yesterday. Every day is a continuous pursuit towards God, understanding God, loving God, and growing in relationship with God. Are you growing daily with God? And I think this is where Paul is going to start to push the church at Ephesus is towards following him more intimately every single day. Paul isn't content to just thank God for the Ephesians. He wants so much more for them. And I would say that for for us as a church too. I want so much more for us. I want so much more for me of Christ, and I want so much more for you of Christ. I want us to, on this journey throughout this series of Ephesians, to, to continually experience the abundance of God's love and grace. And, and my prayer is that the more that we experience it, the more that our lives will then start to conform in the ways it's supposed to. But I don't want us to be stuck in the, root, in the routine of, of you know, uh, faith that we may be established in for years and years and years. Speaking from my own personal experience, I know it can be easy to kind of get in ruts. And there was this old, uh, an old picture, and actually... Um, Back in college, I sang in, in what was called the University Chorale at Indiana Wesleyan University, and every day we'd have these, our chaplains of the chorale would come up and they'd give these devotions, and, and one day this guy, he brought up a sign, he showed this picture of Alaska and some of the roads in Alaska way back in the day when they had Model T's and stuff like that, and they were just ruts, they were like a foot deep ruts, and there was a sign at the very beginning of the road says, choose your rut carefully, you'll be stuck in it for a while. And, and as he showed this picture, he was talking about uh, the choir, and he was saying choir is kind of like this. You, you, have to, you have to choose whether you want to be a part of this choir carefully because you're going to be committed to it for a while, so you need to pick and make sure you're in the right rut. And I just remember watching my choir director that whole time just getting furious with what he was talking about. And he was one of those guys that could not possibly hide his emotions. And so you could see his face getting red. And the more uncomfortable he got, the more shifty he got on the podium. So he was just kind of doing this and just, and then he would kind of make these faces like. And as soon as he was done, he just, he just let off. This is not like a rut. This is one of the best experiences of your life. And just kind of tore into him in front of everybody which will save that kind of uh, confrontation and whether that was right or wrong for another day. But um, the illustration, getting in a rut, I think it it can be hard to get out of a rut. And actually, uh, my wife was talking about this last week at uh, Chasing Supermom, and I just kind of wanted to bring in maybe the idea that she was talking about a little bit here as well. Because we get in these ruts, Right? We get in these ruts where we're, okay, I need to read my Bible for five minutes a day. I need to pray to God for 15 minutes a day. I need to try to not swear at people on the drive to work. I need to try to not wish death upon my boss while I'm there. I need to not hate my family when I get home. And we, I said not hate my family, right? Okay, I need to not hate my family when I get home. And then I need to go to bed and try to have a better day tomorrow. And we kind of get stuck in this rut and we get up and we repeat the same thing every single day. And we don't realize that we're in a rut, And I don't know that this is exactly what Paul is saying, but I want more for us as a church. I want more for us as we follow Jesus Christ. And maybe you're in a rut. And something that is going to be required to get out of that rut is what we call change. And I don't understand this because I like change, but apparently there are a lot of people that don't like change. I wanted to read a quote from you from the highly spiritual and sophisticated author Jimmy Dean. 
I love his breakfast sandwiches. It's actually profound. He said, I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to always reach my destination. See, maybe you're tired and frustrated this morning and you just haven't experienced much in your walk with Christ for a while. But maybe the reason isn't because God has gone silent or there's distance that God has walked away. Maybe it's just we're in a rut, and this rut is leading us more and more towards ourselves and our own destiny than it is to God. And see, maybe just like when you're sailing, you know, you're out and you have to work with the wind, and if you don't work with the wind, you're going to find yourself stuck out at sea, drifting and hoping to finally land somewhere. But if we can learn to go with the wind, if we can learn to sail with the wind, you can even sail into the wind when you're working with the wind. But if you're working against the wind, it's going to be a constant struggle. Now imagine with me for just a minute that that the wind represents what God wants to do in your life and where He wants to lead and who He wants to be. You can imagine that it's even the relationship that He wants to have with you. When you're going in the right direction, when you're working with the wind, then you can sail much faster and not work as hard because the wind is carrying you. But if you're going to get going in the right direction, you might have to change some things. You might have to adjust the way your sails are catching the wind. But wouldn't it be worth changing? Wouldn't it be worth adjusting a couple of things here and there so that we could have the wind at our back, so that we could have the wind propelling us, so that we could have smooth sailing. Maybe, maybe even as we come to the rougher waters, we can still sail across the seas because we have the wind in our sails. Wouldn't it be better if, if it just meant changing this or that, that I could actually start sailing with God as opposed to trying to sail on my own and my own strength? And what does God need you to change this morning? What does God need me to change? What, what is the thing that I need to stop doing or to start doing so that I can start sailing with Him from this point forward? And my prayer for us is that God will show us what that is and we will lay that down and we will, we will willingly and joyfully pick up the change in course that He has for us. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So here's Paul's beginning of his prayer. This is what he's starting to ask when he's talking about what he's asking God for when he's praying for them. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's going to be important in just a minute, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What does Paul want for the church at Ephesus? He wants for them to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Why does Paul want this? This is going to be important too. The why is going to be very important, that they may know him better. The why is so that we may know God better. I think so often the purpose of wisdom and revelation gets, gets twisted. We, we think the point is so that we can, we can know a lot of things and we can kind of boast about our knowledge and we can, we can kind of hold that out in front of people that we know a lot about God. But do we really know God? Do we know him personally and intimately? 
See, the point of those things is not so that we can know more about Him, it's so that we can actually know Him better. Wisdom enables us to perceive reality accurately. So what is Paul praying for us? He's, he's praying a spirit of wisdom so that we can see reality accurately. And revelation, a spirit of revelation, it's the unveiling of the subject. And what is the subject? It's God. God is going to be unveiled to us. The spirit of unveiling God and knowing Him better. It's important that we know God and we have wisdom and revelation for the right reason. Paul wants us to perceive reality accurately. I have some questions. What, what is the reality of your relationship with God today? We need to pray for the spirit of wisdom that we can perceive our relationship accurately. Not just gloss over what we think is a relationship, but do we really have a walking, talking relationship with the God of the universe? What's the reality of your relationship with others around you? The two most important things we're supposed to be focusing on, we talked about when, on the snow day when we talked about on Facebook, is loving God and loving others. So what's my relationship with God? What's my relationship with others like? What's the reality of these situations? We need wisdom to understand these things. What's the reality of my relationship with the world? Am I in love with the world, or am I shining my light into the darkness so that they'd be drawn to Christ in the world? Or what is my relationship with these things? And then Paul wants God to be unveiled to us, to be revealed to us. And I have to ask, do you know God personally, or do you just know stuff about Him? That's a question we need to really truly ponder. Do we know God personally, or do we just know stuff about God? Has your relationship with God affected and changed every aspect of your life? Or is God only something you kind of do on Sundays? And has the world around you been affected by your relationship with God, or would people even know you're His? Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance for His holy people. That is a great, great verse. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. See, Paul is praying, hey, you're not quite getting it yet. It's, your heart needs to be enlightened. The eyes of your heart needs to be enlightened so that you may know, and what are the things that he says? You may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. He carries it on in the next verse. This word knowledge here is a Greek word uh, that uh, I can't pronounce it, but Rob can pronounce it for you after church if you want to know how to pronounce it. But it refers to exact, complete, precise, experiential knowledge, not just abstract knowledge of God or facts about Him. Exact, complete, precise, experiential knowledge. Well, what are these things that Paul wants us to know? What is the, what is the gist of what he's wanting us to know? He wants us to know the hope to which we have been called. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you the riches of His glorious inheritance and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That's a great one we're going to talk about in just a minute. But as we talk about so many times, we live in a dark world and the only hope for this world is Christ. The only hope that can bring any 
semblance of restoration to this world is Christ. Everything else will always fall short. John Stott, he says, if, you're, if God's call looks back to the beginning and God's inheritance looks on to the end, then surely God's power spans the interim period in between. If God's call, God's calling, like we talked about last week, looks back to the beginning and God's inheritance and the hope that we talk about looks on towards the end, then surely God's power spans the interim period in between. This word power, I remember when we were studying this at Multnomah and my professor was talking about this word power and he was talking about it's, it's uh, dynamis. I don't know if that's right, but it's kind of close. But it kind of looks like the word dynamite, right? And he would talk about how, how in, the, in the olden days of, you know, kind of pounding the pulpit, preaching, how pastors would use this verse as kind of their, their justification for really preaching and screaming and and shouting about the power of God. And not that I ever do that, but sometimes I do, I know. I get worked up. It's just kind of this, you know, this, the power. I'm talking about the power of God, right? And that's, that's kind, of the, kind of the preaching I grew up with, and I still honestly kind of like it. But, uh, I mean... This is the power of God, and He wants to come in and totally take over your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Right? And that was kind of… I don't think I, don't think I could do that for very long. But what is this power? What is the power that, 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 that we're talking about here? Because this power, if, it, if John Stott is right, and it's this power of God that spans this time that we're here on earth, then we ought to know what this power is. It's, it's, kind of, it's more the word dynamic, working, strength, and might as, as a definition. It's working. God's power is working. God's power is strength. God's power is might. And we see that displayed in what he's talking about. God's power is energetic. God's power is working in us to give us the energy for living this life. God's power is strength, which is the same strength that is inherent in God, is the same strength that God wants to drive in our lives, and it's might. It's the power to overcome anything that this world would throw at us. This is the power of Christ for us who believe, and this is the power that we need so desperately in our lives today. Verse 19, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Look at that. His incomparably great power for us who believe. It doesn't say his, incom- his incomparably great power, which he holds off for himself and he reserves to use when he feels like it. No, he says his incomparably great power for us who believe. What is this power? Well, let's look at it. Let's see what, he, what Paul says. This is the power. What power? The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's some pretty good power. The same power that seated him, Christ, at the right hand in the heavenly realms. That is pretty powerful, especially if you know what the Bible teaches about that. Being seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, his, uh, John and John, the sons of thunder, his mom came up and asked that uh, the sons would be able to sit at Jesus' right hand. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Woman, you don't know what you're asking. This is not for me to decide. The Father has determined this. So to be seated at His right hand, that is, that is a position of power, far above all rule and authority. Listen to this. This is, this is the power of Christ, far above 
all rule and authority. So we can imagine all rule and authority and power and dominion on the earth, all of that combined and brought together and throughout the entire universe, all of that comes under Christ. He is over that all. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's power in the name of Jesus. I want to read from you out of the message. My wife has been kind of sharing this with me as she's been doing her homework throughout the week. Which, by the way, we're encouraging you to read the book of Ephesians throughout the week. You can use the the Bible app to go and listen to the whole book in about 20 minutes, and you can listen in the NIV or the ESV or the message translation. They have all these audio versions available for you to use for free. It takes about 20 minutes. Just go listen to it once, even throughout this week, and then, and then read each week's passage. I would encourage you to reread what we talked about today and then read what we're talking about next week, which is chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Go read that every day and let it sink into your thinking so that when we come together, it's there and God can build on the foundation of the truth that is already in us. But the message is it's a paraphrase. It's not a translation, so don't use it to go and find the exact truth that God is sharing with you. But Eugene Peterson paraphrased the whole Bible, and he kind of just gave us this good resource to help give us a little bit of an understanding of some of these more difficult passages. And this is what he says. This is the message for this section. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than think. I ask. I ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Him personally. I ask Him to make your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is He's calling you to do, so that you can grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that He has for His followers. Followers, Hold the utter extravagance of His work in us who trust Him. Endless energy and boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name or no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Listen to this. The church you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts, by which He fills everything with His presence. God has not called us to a life of burden without blessing. And I think so many times that, that, 
that we've kind of boiled down and diluted our Christian walk, this Christian experience that we have, like we talked about last week, to a list of to-dos and to-don'ts, and we boil it down to the burden, and we focus on the burden of what we're being called to do. We focus on the lives that we're supposed to live and, and following all of the commands and doing all of those things, and we do that divorced and separate and apart from God's power. We miss the fact that God wants to empower us to live this life, that he wants to actually fill us with what we need to live the life that he's called us to live. And we go and we try and live the life on our own. And I think some of the reason that we do that is because we want to be able to claim that we live the life on our own and say, look at me, look at how good I am. Look that I was able to live this life and earn my position. But we can't earn anything with God. And if you've ever tried to live that life, and I know I've had seasons in my life where I've been trying to live out of only the burden and not the blessing of the presence and the spirit and the power of God, you get tired. Don't you? I mean, it's just tired. Just burn out. I mean, When is this ever going to get any better? I mean, I'm doing all of this for you, and I just feel exhausted all of, I just feel drained all of the time. God, why won't you just help me? <laughs> He's like Paul is saying, hey, I want to. I want to. I, I want to. you got to start with the right Why? I think so many times we jump right to the what because the what is tangible. The what makes sense to us. We understand the what. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And we understand the what. The what. This, this is the what to do. But, but if we don't have the right why, if the why is not what's driving us to do the what, then the what is always going to drain us and make us tired and exhausted. And the right why is not so that you can boast about the kind of life that you lived. The right why is not so that you can look down on all of the unbelievers around you and say, look at how righteous I am. You ought to aspire to be like me. And I think so many Christians, that ends up being the why. Maybe we don't voice it. We don't verbally say that, but we kind of fall back on that. The why is, I want to live this out. I want to prove that you can live this life. And that's the wrong why. We need to get back to the right why. What is the right why? Jesus died so that anything keeping us from a right standing with God would be done away with and we'd be able to have a personal and intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. That's the why, that, that Jesus died putting to death all of the things that kept us from him. He tore the veil in two so that we could now have face-to-face -face conversations. We could be in God's presence as his sons and his daughters. Jesus died to do away with all of the stuff of trying to earn our salvation, and he gave, like Paul talked about last week, out of the goodness of his will and who he is, he gave us the gift of salvation, not because we deserved it or earned it, because he wanted to give it to us. That's why we have the gift of salvation, and there's nothing that we can do to earn it, so what do we do then as a response? Well, we understand I cannot earn this gift, and so I am going to live my life in response to this gift. 
It's like, God, you have done so much for me. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve any of the blessings that you poured out on my life, and yet you have given it to me freely because that's who you are. You want the praise and the glory for the life that I live, and because you have given these things, now I'm going to live my life in response to the blessing I have received. That's the right why. The why is he has redeemed us out of his own desire. He chose to give us salvation. He predestined us to to be his own. He has redeemed us. And now because of what he has done, the work that he has done, he sees us as righteous. He sees us as holy. He sees us as crowned with glory. He sees us as his sons and daughters. He doesn't just see us at that point when we finally get there, but he sees us that way right now because that is who you are, because you are in right standing with him because of the work that Jesus Christ did. And no matter what happens in life, that is how God sees you. That is a blessing. Do you understand the blessing of your faith? Do you understand this blessing that God has poured out on your life? Do you really understand the grace that God has given to us? I want to drill down just a little bit more on this because it's, it's so important. God has given us the power to live the life that He wants us to live. And what I see around me so often, and I, like I said, I've experienced this in my own life and even from time to time still dipping in and out of this, but what I see is the opposite. I don't see the power. What I see is just, just trying, trying to prove something, trying to earn something, trying to justify something. And God has really given us an amazing and glorious gift in the power, the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that seated Him at the right hand of God, the power that puts Christ over everything is alive in us. And that should give us hope. That should give us passion because we understand, okay, you know what? I'm struggling to kind of shake off some of this old shell, this old man, the old lies. And I know that I'm, I'm dead to all of that and God has this new life for me in Christ. And, and I'm starting to understand intellectually and intellectually is important to understand. But, but what is the power of God doing in your heart and your life and in your mind and in your soul to drive you to live the kind of life that he's called you to live? Do you understand that the power that you need to overcome what you're struggling with is already in you? The power to overcome the things that are tempting you on a daily basis is already in you because Christ is in you. And it's the power that raised him from the dead. And if it can raise him from the dead, it can conquer whatever it is you're struggling with. And this power that is in us, that is, that is the Christ power, the power of Christ that puts him at the right hand of God where he is interceding on our behalf, he can, he can come alongside you and walk you through whatever it is you're struggling with. The power of Christ who suffered and endured beating and crucifixion and carrying his own cross and bleeding out his very last drop of blood until the very end, he, he suffered for the last day of his life. And if the power of Christ is in you, the power that walked him through that suffering can walk with you through your suffering, do you understand the power of Christ? The power of Christ. God has given you the power to live the life He wants you to live. 
And all of a sudden, this list of to-dos and to-don'ts, they don't become a burden that I have to fulfill and all of these things that I have to keep in order to earn my salvation. What they become is realignments. They become, you know, the, the adjustments that we need to make on the sales. And we see, well, this part of my life is kind of flapping in the wind over here. I'm not really getting anywhere in this life. And so God gives us an adjustment to make. He says, go do this and go do that. And that helps you tighten the sails a little bit and gets you just kind of pulled down tight in the wind. And then this part of your life over here is flapping in the wind a little bit. And you're just kind of off course. You're not understanding things. And so, so what God does is he, he says, okay, well, do this instead of what you have been doing. And so now you have the power in your sails to live the life that you're going to live. And all of these things that we have interpreted as the burden of Christianity become the thing that actually drive us into the power of God so that we can live the life that he's called us to live for his glory. How are your sales? Are your sales set to flow in the wind? Are you out there in the high seas on this huge sailboat with these huge sails that could be driving you at however fast sailboats go? And you're out there with your little paddle. And you look. I have asthma, so I can't do that very and you realize you're not getting anywhere, you're still going backwards. Do you have the power of God? Are your sails set to propel you forward? And then all of a sudden, this thing that sucked the life out of you, this thing that stole you and robbed you of your joy because that's what will happen if you try to live the, the life that Christ has called you to live apart from the strength that he's given you to do it. It will suck the life out of you because you can't do it. We can't do it. We cannot do it on our own strength. And when we try to, we are sucked and bled dry. But when we have our sails set and the power of Christ is blowing and breathing life into those sails, all of a sudden those things that suck the life out of us now start to bring us joy. They start to bring us passion. They start to bring us hope because we start to understand everything starts to come into alignment. It's not this thing that I have to do so that I can please God. God is already pleased with me because I have received his gift of salvation, and now I just have to kind of start getting my life more in alignment and working with the power of God. Are you working from a place of power? Or are you working from a place of burden? Because when we're working from a place of power, the way Eugene Peterson put it, we have endless energy and boundless strength. But I do more than ask, I, more than thank, I ask. I ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Him personally, that your eyes would be focused and clear so that you can see exactly what He's calling you to do and you can grasp, like we talked about last week, just grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that He has for His followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of His work 
in us who trust Him. Endless energy and boundless strength. What do you need to do this morning? What do we need to do to get back to the right why? What are the things we need to lay down and set down and put down for, for good and just leave them there? Walk away from them for good so that we are walking out of here focused on the right why. Are you drained this morning? Has, has life been literally sucked out of you by trying to live this Christian life? What do you need to stop doing so that you can get back to the right why? Are you focused on the stuff instead of the intimacy? Are you focused on asking God and your whole relationship with God has been, God, will you give me this? Will you do this for me? Do you need to stop and say, God, help me to know you. God, I want to know you more. I want to understand you more. I want to be connected with you more. I want to understand this power that, that you talk about more. I want to live my life more for you because you have done so much for me. Help me to get back to the right why. And if you're there this morning, if you're just drained, if you're tired, if you're defeated, if you would describe your walk with Christ as a trial, maybe it's because we never started in the right place to begin with. This is going to become so very important, so very, very important as we start to understand what Christ has given to us, the work that He's given to us to do as the church, all this energy issues from Christ. This is Eugene Peterson again. God raised Him from death and set Him on the throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from His rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of all of this, here at the very, at the very center of all of the stuff that God has created and put into place, here at the very center of it is the church. You see, the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. And we live in a time where the church seems to become more and more peripheral to everything. And the world would argue with us, hey, this is my world, I can do whatever I want. Well, this is not your world, this is God's world, and He wants you to be His. And our role, our responsibility, our burden as the church, and we're going to see this throughout the rest of Ephesians, this is why we wanted and I wanted so deeply to get into this book and to talk about this, because we need to understand who we are and understand where the power comes from to do the work that we've been called to do before we go do the work. But when we have the power to do the work that we've been called to do, when we understand that the whole point of it all is bringing God glory and at the very center of everything that is around us is the church, and when the church is functioning to give God glory by the kind of lives that we lead according to our relationship with Him, then everything starts to fall into place. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts, by which He fills everything with His presence. Tying all the way back to last week. You may be the very presence of Christ, the presence of God in the darkness that God has predestined for some other person to come into faith in Christ. Are we going to be faithful with the call that has been put on our lives? Are we going to be faithful with, with the understanding that God is using me to shine His light into the darkness so that more people may come and give and live their lives for the praise of His glory? 
because I'll be honest, a, th- a, a why that kind of gets me off track from time to time is just kind of is kind of reaching more people and, and trying to draw in more people and, and, you know, evangelism. And there's nothing wrong with evangelism. Evangelism is the kind of life that we're supposed to lead. But evangelism is not the thing at the end of the day. God is the thing at the end of the day. Are we living lives that glorify God? And the hope is to bring more people into the kingdom so that more people glorify God and God gets more praise and more glory. Or are we trying to get a few more pats on the back and a few more jewels in our crown because we are trying to earn our salvation? What's the right why? Have you been stuck and focused on the what for too long? This morning, my prayer, my, my desire, my passion for us, as Paul prayed, is that, is that we really get back to understanding why we are a church. We understand why, why am I a Christ follower? Why am I here? I'm not here to check off my Christian responsibility for the week. I'm here because I am so in love with the creator of the universe. He has given me so much. He has blessed me with so much and and just the work that he did for me in Christ. And, And I want to do everything I can in my life to make my life for his glory. If we can get back to that why, if we can get back to the power of God alive and active and at work in our hearts and in this church, it would be unstoppable what God would do. That does not mean it will be without fight or without struggle because as we're going to learn, there is an enemy. There is a liar. There is someone who wants to take us off course. There's someone who wants to interrupt every step along the way and do whatever he can to keep us from following God and loving God. But we can rest assured in this, that the power of Christ is stronger than anything that can be thrown at us by our enemy. In fact, our enemy is an enemy that has already been defeated, and all he can do is trip us up from time to time. He will never win. Christ always wins. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for us, and I want to pray for me as well. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of salvation that you have given to me, the way you have poured out your love on me in a way that I will never understand, never be able to explain, never be able to put words to. I thank you for this love, for this grace that you've given to me. I thank you for the salvation that you've given to me. And I thank you that for all of us here in this room who have put our faith in you, that you've given us this gift, this free gift of salvation for your glory. Father, I have so much. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much that that maybe we take for granted and we need to stop and realize and remember how much you have blessed us. But Father, thank you. But Father, I don't want to stop there just like Paul didn't stop there. I want us to experience you more. I want us to know you more. Father, I want to know you more. I want to understand you more. And I pray, Father, that just like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that this would be the truth for us as your followers here at 6-8 Church.
And I pray that God, our Master, and that Jesus Christ, the God of glory, I pray that He, that that You would make intelligent to us and to help us to understand by Your wisdom the knowledge that You want us to have of knowing You personally, knowing You in our relationship with You. Father, let that become a reality for us. Father, I pray that our eyes would be focused and clear, that the eyes, not only our physical eyes, but the eyes of our mind and our hearts would be focused on You and what You have for us, and that we would not be so easily distracted and torn away from what You have, but that we would be focused steadfast on You. Father, help us to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that You have given to us, Your believers, Your followers, this extravagant work of grace that You have given to us for those of us who trust in You. And Father, I pray that our lives would be bound by energy, that that the strength of the power of Christ would be alive and active and present and visible discernible in us. Father, may we live lives that not only glorify You, but that exemplify You, and that our lives would shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ. God raised Him from the dead and set Him, Christ, on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, that, that our power would stem from that Christ. Our power would stem from the Christ who everything from galaxies and governments is under His feet and that there is no name except His name that holds all the power in the universe. And that this power, the power that is in Christ, not only for the time being but forever, the one who is in charge of everything has the final word of everything, that this power of Christ would be at the center of our lives, would be at the center of our families, would be at the center of our church, would be at the center of our relationship with our neighbors and our coworkers, that this power of Christ would rule in our hearts, and that as this power of Christ rules in our hearts, it would rule in this church. And I pray, Father, as the power of Christ rules in this church, this church that is the hope of the world. It's not something that kind of sits on the outside for the world to observe as they drive by on a Sunday morning, but that this church is central to the hope of the future of the universe. Father, I pray that that power would shine your light so bright that people would be drawn to you for the first time and that this would be a place of hope and love and joy and peace and unity and fellowship and connection and relationship and belonging and all of the things that, that speak about the kind of community that you want us to be, that we would have an unconditional love for one another and we'd have an unconditional love for you and for this church because of what you have done. Father, set our hearts and our minds to the focus of what you've given us to do. Set our sails to only be driven by the wind that you have put at our backs. And Father, may we live lives for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.